welcome to Whip Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Elle Kammerer. And today we are wrapping up Emma. Yay! Yay! Uh, <laughs> we are going to be talking about our overall thoughts of the novel, our likes and dislikes. We're going to try to answer the question, who is the real villain in Emma? And finally, do we like Emma and has she grown as a character? But most importantly, we're going to give out a few superlatives yes. to our favorite characters Woo! from this book. And I say that most importantly because it was legit so much fun for Pride and Prejudice that I'm really excited to do this for Emma as well. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go ahead and get started. Uh, the overall look at the book. So if you remember correctly, neither one of us have read this book before. So this is our first dive into Emma. Uh, neither one of us watched any of the like legit adaptations, but we did both watch Clueless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so Clueless. We weren't we completely in the darkest to the story, but as you guys probably listened to throughout the episodes, you could very clearly tell we didn't know what was going on <laughs> in the book. <laughs> I know. Okay, so um, last weekend I was re-listening to our Emma episodes just to like kind of jog my memory a bit, and I was anticipating that we we're going to be really harsh on this book, and we we were harsher than we were with Pride and Prejudice. But at the same time, there were little sprinkles of things that we liked. So, so you know, I feel like we did an okay job. <laughs> but that's coming from me as somebody who hasn't read it. Whereas, like, people who do know this book really well who have listened to us talk are probably like, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have both readily admitted that we're probably going to revisit this book at some point. because, yes. And I've said it multiple times. And I realized because I also went back and listened to some episodes. I mentioned this like way back in like the first episode, how I feel like this book is better after watching an adaptation. Mm -hmm. So as we went through the book, I felt more and more like Emma should just be a play. Yeah. Because there's just so much talked about that just reads like a play almost like either stage notes or the way certain characters interact with each other the things that they talk about it's almost as if they're describing things around them for a person who is watching it be performed yeah they practically introduce each other out loud um miss bates is regularly like oh make sure you watch out for that extra step or oh look at that piece of setting over there or look at this piece of setting over there or oh that person in the far corner who we haven't talked to because they don't have any lines that's this person and this is what they do and that's why they're here it just feels like I'm reading a play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a really, really wordy play, <laughs> but a play in itself. Yeah. And I felt like when we were reading Pride and Prejudice, like Austin had to have been aware of Shakespeare. Oh, and for certain. Specifically, Much Ado About Nothing, because Pride and Prejudice just feels so much like Much Ado About Nothing. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if like Emma, it being one of the like last things that she wrote, it's considered like her most like full novel. I wonder if like she really wasn't like heavily influenced by plays. And that's kind of why this book feels so much like that compared to some of her earlier works. Yeah. Now I have done zero research into this, <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to. So if you happen to know of any research 
into this, please send it my way because I would love to dig into this more. Like this would be a thesis for a paper for college if I was still doing that. <laughs> well, I actually did look up some I just typed into Google, why did Austin write Emma? Because I was curious. <laughs> um, and Just to piss us off. <laughs> no. Um, oh, damn. It's said that, like, this book, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but, like, of the articles I looked at, this one in particular completely revolutionized how novels are written and how we portray characters within novels. And I was like, that's a really interesting mm -hmm. idea and a really interesting tidbit. And I can definitely see, I can definitely see that, especially mm -hmm. with how descriptive these characters are. Like, even the characters that aren't central to Emma have big, important parts. Um, so, yeah. It's not even just that they have big, important parts. It's that they're, like, pretty fleshed out. Yeah. Like, we see personalities and characters that I don't even think speak. It's like world building. Yeah, right? it is. That it is what this is. It is like, mm -hmm. I don't know if there's, there, there's probably great earlier examples, but for me, this is like, here's the earliest example of world building that I've read so far. It is the most thorough. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's, and that is definitely one of the things that people talk about with Emma is that it is definitely like, it sets the world, it sets the stage, it shows you all of these characters, and not only all of these characters, like, in detail but these are all people we know in yeah. our own lives yeah so and that's that's kind of the whole point of emma is that it's looking into these little groups of people that everybody knows we all know an emma we all know a mr woodhouse we all know a miss bates you yeah. know like that's just how it is oh also if you don't know if you don't think you know a miss bates it's because you're the miss bates <laughs> i know a miss bates phew <laughs> it's not me. is it me no is it me? it's not you it definitely is not you <laughs> uh. but anyway so we all know these people and actually like that's actually what i wrote down as what i liked about this novel yeah is the insight into these into this community at highbury obviously this is a fake community obviously these are fake people but it, it feels like a real group of people in a real small town. This is realistic fiction at its mm -hmm. finest. And yep. I know last week we kind of talked about how it didn't feel like Emma really loved Knightley, right? Mm -hmm. And it just felt like, oh, you know, we didn't get that big romantic feeling from Emma. But you know what? Maybe that's something that's true to life and it feels oh, yeah, more real yeah. right and that's like the mm -hmm. biggest thing with with emma is it reads more like realistic fiction and maybe less like a romance and specifically um there was this letter that austin had written um she had written it to a man named john murray after emma was published and in that letter, she wrote, I am very strongly haunted by the idea that to those readers who have preferred P&P, &P, Pride and Prejudice, it will appear inferior in wit. And to those who have preferred MP, Mansfield Park, very inferior in good sense. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And it, then after that quotation from that letter, it goes on to talk about how Emma is more of like a realistic fiction like she's re writing this 
to show readers here's what probably mm-hmm. a typical life in a small county village yeah. is actually like. And I think that the book does a great job of that. Like, let me emphasize this again, like underscores, all caps. She does a great job doing that. Yeah. Now, does that necessarily equal, oh, I really enjoy this book? Not necessarily. But I mean, like, it's kind of like, well, Stephen King writes a really great horror novel, but am I a big fan of it? No. Right. Kind of a situation. So I find it really interesting that, like, Austin had this insight into Emma and how people who loved Pride and Prejudice would react to Emma and same with people who loved Mansfield Park, which I haven't read Mansfield Park, so I can't speak on that sense. But Mm -hmm. what Austin said about how Emma isn't as witty as Pride and Prejudice is literally how I how I like that. Yeah, I as somebody who loves Pride and Prejudice, Austin, you got that one spot on. I didn't think that this was nearly as witty. Now, what you didn't specifically mention (laughs) was that this book isn't as like romantic as Pride and Prejudice. So yeah, and I think that that's the problem with how I'm coming to look at Emma is that I'm expecting it to be romantic. And we're talking about how well, it reflects real life. And yeah, real life isn't as swoony romantic as like Pride and Prejudice is. I think that's the problem that I've had with it is like, I'm expecting it to be that. And it's not. not. And you know what? Your criticism, you're not alone. Mm. A lot of people share this to the point where like, as I was reading more into it, I was like, oh, all of these things these people are writing about how some people receive this novel is what we're thinking. So we're not we're not completely out of the ballpark that made me feel better (laughs) about myself. But yeah, um, one of the big, big criticisms that I've noticed is that there's no big like incident. Right. There's mm-hmm. and there's also not a lot of romance. There's like no drama with that. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of it. And it, whatever drama there is, it's like kind of little and then it's resolved and everything's OK. Um, yeah. The big yeah. drama in this is is Frank and Jane. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because I feel like there would be more drama if we saw it through Jane's point of view, because she's the one feeling this, like especially when Frank didn't write her back and everything like that. But that's something we're not seeing. Yeah. And which, yeah, that is more realistic because, you know, you also have that really crazy dramatic friend who just kind of like, you know, but you don't, yeah, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. You, We all know a Jane Fairfax as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that Jane is necessarily like being dramatic for the sake of being dramatic. Right. It just happens to be what happens to yeah, her. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, Emma doesn't really have that. There is no big dramatic moment because even this big dramatic thing that happens is resolved really quickly. And like, everybody's just cool. And it doesn't happen to the title character. Like, right. That, and, yeah. And even though there's supposed to be this big scandal, like, oh my gosh, a secret engagement. Like, everybody's just like, yeah, cool. They're going to get married. No big deal. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of how it was at the time. Like, as long as people got married, it could be forgiven pretty easily. Yeah. If you didn't get married, then no, you were shunned. But. I mean, we see that with Lydia and Wickham. Yeah, exactly. Like, the big deal was that they weren't married and they were off doing this stuff. But then once they were married, it's just like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Yep. Yep. 100%. Well, it's still kind of a big deal to some people in the book. But, like, yeah. you know, Mrs. Bennett, oh, <laughs> my little one is married. Yay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but going back to Emma, I just, I don't know. I just found all the stuff that I was reading really interesting and, like, how they kind of overlapped and yeah, and people who like this book 
generally it's said, and I, I don't take this as like word, you know, complete total truth. I mean, everybody thinks of books differently, but generally what a lot of these articles and things that I've read said is that people who really embrace this book are people who really enjoy realistic fiction. And I was thinking about that because I'm actually somebody who does enjoy realistic fiction a lot. I'm really Mm -hmm. into stories that do mimic true life. I mean, I'm really also into fantasy and science fiction as well, as you know. (laughs) Um, But when I need like a little break from that, I do really enjoy realistic fiction. And I think my struggle with Emma is I came into it assuming it was supposed to be a romance, especially coming off Mm -hmm. of that high from Pride and Prejudice. And so when I'm reading it and I don't know anything about it, I'm like, why isn't this romantic? It's supposed to be romantic. (laughs) This is a romance. What's going on? But now (laughs) that I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's realistic fiction. More so, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was the genre specifically at the time, but that's how people are interpreting it today. If I reread it, you know, in a few Mm -hmm. months like we plan to do, I'm going to go into it with that realistic fiction approach and that lens as I'm reading it and see how I like the book better. Well, so I feel like that is like that assumption that you have that it's going to be a romance comes from like how we categorize books yeah so while austin is you know classic literature if you were to just like look up romance novels all of her books show up Mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily romance novels in the sense of like modern romance novels because like pride and prejudice kind of is but it's also not like i don't know because i'm still i'm dipping my toe into romance for the first time in my life in my 30s here so Mm I'm starting to read more and more and more, but I, I do feel like Austin kind of gets thrown into the romance category when she shouldn't in certain places. And Emma is definitely proof of that. Like yeah. Emma, I would not consider is a romance novel. Right. And it's I not. I feel like we don't hear a lot. At least I never heard a lot about Emma. Like I knew it was this book. I knew Clueless was based off of it. Like those are the things that I knew, but that was really it. And When I read Northanger Abbey, I knew that was, like, more gothic style. So when Mm -hmm. I read it, I wasn't let down that it felt different than, like, Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility because I knew going into it, it was emulating a certain style. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Emma, I didn't know that, and that's probably why I stopped reading it way back then. Yeah, so I have a similar thing with Northanger Abbey. So... I just assumed that Austin fell into this, like, not only the classic lit section, but also kind of more of a romance section. And I think that comes from the fact that, like, all of her characters get married at the end. There's always a coupling happening. But there isn't necessarily the romance that we expect right. in Emma, which obviously was done purposefully. And then then there's, of course, Northanger Abbey, which is supposed to be a parody on a gothic novel. Yeah. And, like, that is a very well-known thing. Yeah, But I think that what isn't well known enough is that Emma isn't a romance novel. Yeah. It is supposed to be like, I don't want to say a contemporary novel, but for the time it was yeah. like, it was just a contemporary, maybe even almost, well, I don't even know, like, like realistic fiction. Yes. A contemporary novel for the time, but I wouldn't have put it in romance. And I, I don't think that it belongs in a romance category. Yeah. So for all of you people listening who put, like books and categories take emma off of your romance list it's not a romance novel i'm sorry <laughs> it's it's 
it's basically supposed to be a picture of real life. Like it deep dives into characters and who those characters are and how they interact with each other. Like that mm-hmm. is the purpose of Emma is to kind of show here's what life is like, but kind of emphasized. And like, I feel like the characters, while yeah, they are pretty realistic. Some of them are kind of like, to put it in like modern slang, some of them are more extra <laughs> than oh, you yeah. would like Miss Bates, for example, is a little mm-hmm. bit extra. Um, so yeah, Mr. Woodhouse, probably a little extra. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, because we know, again, Northanger Abbey is supposed to be a parody, almost, of a gothic novel. Maybe not a parody, maybe a satirical yeah, look at a, a gothic satire. novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm trying to remember the difference between parody and satire right now. But anyway, um, so I wonder if Emma isn't supposed to be that same thing, but for like a contemporary of the time book. Maybe. Like, I wonder, and I'm not as familiar with a lot of novels of this time, because again, it was like, the one time period we didn't study deeply in in college. So I wonder like what the other novels Emma would be compared to of the time are like, obviously like she had like Austin has contemporaries that people compare her to all the time, like the Bronte sisters and Mm -hmm. stuff, which again, I haven't read either. So um, I, I really do want to dive into Emma and looking at it from a like, like a studying kind of point of view, like doing these yeah. research papers, reading all of this stuff. I have this problem where <laughs> there are books that I don't like, and that makes me want to do more research into them yeah. <laughs> and figure out what makes them tick. Like I did my junior thesis paper on a book that I freaking hate. <laughs> and that's actually how I started my presentation in front of the entire department was, I hate this book with a fiery passion. So I wrote this paper on it. <laughs> <laughs> Because I need to understand it better because I hate it so much. <laughs> so not that I hate Emma. I'm 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 not gonna I, I don't hate it. It's just I don't necessarily like it as much. You know? And that's like, okay. Yeah, it's it's I don't want to necessarily go back and read it. Now again, I am really looking forward to watching the adaptations mm-hmm. because they look gorgeous, especially the twenty twenty one. But like I don't know if I'm gonna want to pick up Emma and read it again for pleasure. So So let's talk a little bit more about what we didn't like about Emma specifically, because I I already touched on what I liked about Emma, which is the like the little examples of like real life and like how fleshed out her characters are and how we have these big personalities from people who don't even really show up. Yeah. Like specifically Mrs. Cole. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like she's obviously like a big character, but not in the sense that she's important. <laughs> right. We just know her. We know a lot about her. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's talk about what we didn't really like about it and specifics in that sense. So like for me, one of the things that really bothered me about Emma is the way it's written to a certain sen- in a certain sense. Like I felt like <sighs> this is going to sound terrible. How long it is given what happens. <laughs> Okay, so (laughs) let me come in with my dislike, which is so nitpicky. And yeah, I agree. I was like, I'm going to have to preface this with this sounds terrible and whiny, but I'm going to say it (laughs) anyway. I don't like the big blocks of text. I don't like them. I don't like big blocks of text because it just feels like I'm reading too much and there's not enough like 
interesting breaks, breaks yeah. and like places for my eyes to go. And so it just feels like I'm reading and reading and reading and reading. And this is coming from somebody who really loves to read. But if I, <laughs> when, if I see a big block of text, I immediately just like zone out. Mm-hmm. So with, with, with me, it's more of a, there's so much text and nothing is happening. And we know she can condense the actions of this book down because the first arc of the story happens in like the first eight chapters. Like the whole Emma, Harriet, Mr. Elton thing. It happens so quickly. And it's interesting, you know, because it keeps you in the story. But then everything else just seems so dragged out. And like, while yes, real life isn't like action, 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 action. I just feel like this book could have been and still kind of reflected real life. Like, so after Mr. Elton's thing, the next arc should have just started, which would have been like, Frank comes to town. Frank is heavily flirting with Emma. Uh, the Harriet thing happening. Like, bam, 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 bam. But I just felt like the, the whole second and third parts of this book were just so stretched out and I wish it was condensed a lot more. Yeah. That's, that's my biggest problem with this book is that it's just, it seems so stretched out for no reason. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of forgetting a lot of like what happened in the middle. Right now the end is so fresh in my brain. And obviously the beginning is very fresh because it happened so quickly that I don't really full on remember the middle that much. But I do know it was very long. And mm-hmm. I do know from listening to us, <laughs> to listening to our old episodes, a lot of the episodes I started off with, we read a lot, but nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the middle was literally just Frank being there, Frank flirting with Emma, the piano forte incident, and then prepping for the ball. And then the ball not happening. Yeah. And then the ball happening. <laughs> yeah. That is the whole middle. That's like volume two and the first half of volume three of this book. There are three uh... volumes in this book. <laughs> okay. I just, so. I need to reread it. I need to reread it. And I need to reread it fresh off of reading some other realistic fiction just to kind of get my my headspace right. So I think mm-hmm. that's one of my goals for this summer when I'm off is to like catch up on some because I have some realistic fiction novels that are on my TBR stack right now. So read those and then hit up Emma again. So I'd like to hear your opinion of that because mm-hmm. I don't read a lot of realistic fiction. I'm all for fantasy like mythology based fiction oh, uh like that's my game sci-fi i've gotten really uh, back into that's sci-fi my preference like don't get me wrong <laughs> i would just read lord of the rings all day every day and like live in middle earth if i could but i do still appreciate realistic fiction and like to read it so i in all honesty i can't even remember the last like quote-unquote realistic type book that i read and and that might just be why Emma really wasn't my my cup of tea. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm I'm interested to hear what you think of Emma, not only on your second read, but after reading something that's more similar to it in style. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm probably just going to be like, okay, reading this really cute contemporary romance novel. Okay, time to go back to Emma. Why is there no romance? <laughs> but yeah, I am looking forward to us looking at this book again for sure. Mm-hmm. Me too. So. All right. I think we pretty much exhausted our overall thoughts and our <laughs> likes and dislikes. Um, there is one little teeny like that I I just want to give a quick shout out to. It's just like a little note that I wrote when I was like jotting down my ideas. 
And um, that note is John Knightley dash comic relief question mark. Because when I was reflecting back on him, I know we like gave him a lot of crap, but like his stuff I laughed at even when he was being serious. I laughed at it and like kind of connected with him a little, even though I totally like roasted him throughout the novel. But at the same time, I was like, but you're funny. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I felt like his character changed from like the first time we met him to even just the second time. From the second time to the end, he seems to be the same character. But that first time we meet him, he doesn't seem like he's the same character. Because I agree. I like john knightley after we meet him the first time yeah so like when he comes to visit and then they go back to london the second time we see him beyond i like him but that first time he was really annoying and was like super mansplaining he is like one of those people that you meet them and you're like ugh, this person and then you like they like grow on you the more you hang out with them and Mm -hmm. like oh this is real (laughs) oh it's real uh, let's talk more about how this is like real life <laughs> yeah yeah john like felt like a character that just grows on you he felt like a person you know that grows on you over time let me just put it this way at the at the beginning i was just like why did isabella marry this dude but at the end i'm like oh, okay fine i can see that yeah yeah yep. anyway all right let's move on to one of our big questions the first which is who is the real villain of emma emma Okay, I didn't, I didn't write that. So yes, tell me. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad we, I'm glad we have different ideas. Good. All right. Okay, I think, I think that it is legit, Emma, because she is the catalyst for every bad thing that happens. Interesting. She gets these ideas in her mind and won't change them, and then acts upon them, and it hurts other people around her. And I know that this is going to go into our second question. I don't necessarily feel like she grew out of it. Okay. So I feel like that kind of makes her the villain in the sense for this book. Because she just keeps doing what she's doing. And it does, in a sense, keep hurting other people. So, yeah. Interesting. Now, don't get me wrong. She's not like a Wicca or a Willoughby kind no. of villain. No, 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 no. By any means. But I do feel like Emma is the villain of the novel. Okay. Um, Just to answer the second question, which has she grown as a character? Because I want to address what I think while it's so fresh right here. I only put a little. Like, there's like a little smidgen of growth, especially at the end when she realizes that she messed up by saying that comment to Miss Bates in front of everybody. Um, that really rude thing. And I know Knightley calls her out on it, but at the same time, when I went back to that section, there was like a little glimmer of Emma kind of realizing what she was saying also. It was almost like she said it and was like, oh, ah, but it's okay, right? Like, it felt like a little glimmer yeah. there. And, like, she did, once Knightley called her out on it and made her feel bad, that stuck with her. And she did want to make it up to Miss Bates. And even though it wasn't a real apology and I criticized her for that, she still tried. Okay, and, I can see that. Like, there's, but... like, a little bit of, like, growth there with the respect of how she's treating the people who have always been around her and supported her. But not necessarily with, her new friends like Harriet, right? Well, see, and I don't think that she grew because from the beginning, 
all the way until the end of the novel, she is still doing the same things. She is taking a look at the people she knows. She is making assumptions about them. She is then acting on those assumptions and not taking how they actually feel into consideration. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially her entire matchmaking process. Yeah. She is matchmaking from the beginning to the end of this book. And I think that that is her problem. Her matchmaking process, this whole like, this is what I think, this is what it should be. And she does it from the beginning to the end. The only time that she stops doing that is when she realizes that Knightley is in love with her and that Harriet is married to Mr. Martin. Yeah. Because there isn't anybody left for her to kind of sink her teeth into in that sense. Because everybody else is paired off. So while you could say, oh, well, she's not doing it at the very end of the book, I don't see that as growth. I see that as like... (laughs) Like, she's exhausted she doesn't her resources. Ha- she's yeah, her resources are gone. She yeah. doesn't have she, she doesn't have anything left to feed on. Right. <laughs> so, I just I feel like she is the same character from the beginning to the end of the book. I don't see the growth. And while yes, she does start to feel a little guilty, we don't necessarily know whether or not that's growth because we don't know if she felt like that like before this snapshot of her life that we have. I don't you think know? she would have. I don't think she would have before. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, I personally don't see the evidence, but I mean, that could change when I reread it and I'm kind of like looking for it more. Maybe this is like but, step one of her growth. We're like catching her, the end of the book is like her step one and it's a baby step, but it's there. I think the baby step is her with Miss Bates. Yeah. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah. 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 And, like, so I could see that being, like, a little tiny inch of a step because I guess it comes back to that whole, like, oh, I want to be better friends with Jane. I want to be a better friends with Jane. But then she doesn't act like it. Until the very, very end. Right. But again, her resources are gone. Right. Because Jane is getting married to Frank. Yeah. So, like, Emma doesn't have anything to kind of, like, talk about behind her back anymore. <laughs> right. Well, and so. Jane is moving away, but, like, they'll still write to each other and they'll still be within the same circle of movement. But what's really interesting that we didn't talk about is that um, Harriet, after she gets married, they're not going to be in the same circles. And I feel like there's even, like, mention of that where, yes, they acknowledge that this happens and after the wedding they won't really see each other and this friendship will ease into like acquaintanceship with like a few letters between them and that's really it and that's what happens and it i don't know it's kind of weird right did you catch that or was that just me i don't remember i did realize though that in the last episode we totally did not talk about the fact that we finally figure out who harriet's relatives are oh that is true yeah, so she's just like a merchant's daughter or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But which is respectable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's not a gentleman's daughter. But, right. And yeah. it's like at that point where her parentage comes out that they're like, "Oh yeah, we won't be able to move in mm-hmm. the same circles and our friendship will ease into like nothing essentially." But back to Emma not growing. Right. I just I just feel like she is the same person. I think the difference is, is that at the end she has nightly and Knightley will be the catalyst for her growing more. I yeah. yeah. So we I think that's a, the difference. So we need a sequel, basically. Except we don't. <laughs> okay. What if the sequel is from Knightley's point of view? I might be more okay with that. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, can I talk about who I thought the villain of Emma was? No, because I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. Okay. So I'll indulge in your your fantasies and your thoughts of this, but I'm correct. So I know there's like no real, real villain. There's no Wickham. Mm-hmm. There's no Willoughby. But I was trying to channel that energy when I was considering my villain, right? Because Emma's not villainous like that. Mm-hmm. She's not like purposefully keeping people apart and like doing shady mm-hmm. stuff purposefully. So I was like trying to channel that. And I'm like, who is purposefully doing some shady shit behind the scenes. And I thought it was Mrs. Churchill, mainly because she keeps Mm -hmm. Frank and Jane apart. And if they could have just been together, like from the beginning, all this trouble could have been avoided, right? Mm -hmm. All of the drama could have been avoided. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, she also kind of low-key abandoned her sister-in-law with her husband when she married Weston, but I know the sister-in-law, Mr. Weston's first wife, also kind of went into the marriage with, like, love in her heart. But then she was in the marriage and she's like, oh, I can't also be the Lady of Enscombe now. I can't have all these things. And, like, she kind of was a little not great either. I don't know. It just felt like maybe Mrs. Churchill could have been, like, a traditional villain even though Mm -hmm. she's not like terrible she's not horrible she's not Mm -hmm. doing bad bad things but she is doing enough that is purposeful of keeping people Mm -hmm. apart um and then i considered one other villain well hang on before you say that i do want to talk about mrs churchill because i agree with you that she is if you're looking at like is she purposefully doing things to harm other people like with intention i would say yes because also she's really trying to keep Frank on like the short leash, even yeah. though she knows that he wants to be in Highbury yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. And she's purposefully like keeping him away from his father. Yeah. So like, I agree with you, but also I feel like Mrs. Churchill, she feels so much like Lady Catherine. And while I'm not saying that Lady Catherine is or isn't a villain in Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. I'm also saying that she is kind of villainous in yeah. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree with you on that one. Yeah. And like, I was also thinking of like Mrs. Churchill's reasonings. Like she wants the best for Frank. The best for Frank is for Frank to marry somebody of this class to like mm-hmm. take over this huge estate. And like, she wants the best for him. Like the intention is okay it's like what she knows Mm -hmm. but it's not what he wants Mm -hmm. and then i think seeing how her brother reacted to his sister mary mr weston and then like that that prideful reaction that she and him took with that marriage i think she's like preventing frank from having the same thing happen to him right Mm -hmm. she saw it with her husband's sister she doesn't want it to happen to Frank. But at the same time, it's still not okay. Like, it's still a little shady and not nice. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so my other villain? Mm-hmm. Cake. Oh, yeah, it's totally cake. 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 It, it yeah. affects Mr. Woodhouse's poor nerves and how dare you, Cake. Yeah, no, Fuck Cake you. is totally the villain. Yeah. Fuck you. You heard it here first. Cake is the villain of Eva. <laughs> Period. Truth with a capital T. End of story. Cake is the villain. Yep. 
It is. It just is. It just is. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our final question is, do we like Emma? And not just like personally, do we like her as a character ourselves? But also, are we supposed to like her? So I don't like Emma. Just saying that right out. <laughs> I don't like her. But I think that that's mostly because we're just in her head so much. So we know what she's actually thinking. Um, <laughs> and we see all these ridiculous little like theories that she has going on. Now, if I were to meet Emma personally, I would probably think that she's, you know, totally okay, whatever. But because we have like we see this insight into her. Let me just say this. I am not looking at Emma like I do at Lizzie. Like Lizzie is super cool. Like I'd love to be Lizzie. I'd love to be friends with Lizzie. I don't want to be that with Emma. <laughs> <laughs> um, personally, I'm amused by Emma. And I would probably, if I knew her in real life, just be like, she gets into like crazy antics. But I don't know if I would be her BFF. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like her or not. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But are we supposed to like her? I think we might. This is a big might. I think we are supposed to perhaps resonate with her because there were times in the novel where I really resonated with her and like she would get herself into situations and the way she reacted in those situations were very similar to like how I think and react in situations. I'm thinking specifically of like when she has everybody over for dinner and they're trying to like settle on who is coming and there's all these moving pieces and like she Mm -hmm. is worried about it and like Mr. Woodhouse is exasperating that worry and like I am the same way when I invite big groups of people over and like who's going to interact with who and who is all coming and like if this person comes then maybe this person won't come and like all of this stuff. So like I think there are times when we're supposed to resonate with her I don't know if we're supposed to like her. I think we're supposed to resonate with her. I think that we are supposed to, yeah, like identify ourselves in parts of her. Yeah. And I think that we're not supposed to, let me put it this way. I don't think we're supposed to like her at the beginning. I don't think we're supposed to hate her. I just supposed to think that, I think we're just supposed to see her as a person. And I think that the more we get to know her, we're supposed to kind of root for her a little bit more. Again, rooting for her is not necessarily liking her. Like, I think we're supposed to want to see her grow and want to see her succeed and be okay in the end. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if we're ever supposed to actually like her. I think we're supposed to like other characters. I think we're definitely supposed to like Mr. Knightley. I think we're supposed to like Harriet. And I think we're supposed to hate certain characters. But I, I feel like Emma is more like a vessel for us and something we're rooting for. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to really like her the same way we're supposed to like other heroines so yeah i'd agree with that we want her to be happy and to do better at the end Mm -hmm. i think liking her is not the question Mm -hmm. after answering the question and thinking about it i think that's actually not the question (laughs) maybe i don't know moving on no um (laughs) (laughs) But we are going to move on. We're going to move on to uh, my favorite part of our big end of book section, which is superlatives. Yay! Now, again, we're going to say 
don't give real people superlatives. No! It's crappy. Bad. Don't do that. Real people can't be put into a little box like that, especially young children. Stop it. Stop it. However, fictional characters, please feel free to, because they are specifically written to be put into little boxes. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not real. (laughs) They're not real. And they can't feel bad about the ones that they get. Uh, So we're going to go through the list of superlatives that we have. We'll each say which one we had. And we'll talk about it. Now, rule of thumb is you're not allowed to reuse people. Right. However, I will say that I broke that rule slightly. Yes. For couples. Okay. Because, like, I have somebody in one category who's also in one of my couple categories. And I feel like that's not actually cheating because, like, you have to put two people in there. But I will say that I have that. So. Okay. I guess that's okay. I didn't do that. I And I we have two. We have three. Three categories that include couples. Mm-hmm. And I only did it once. And it's only for one of the characters. Right. I believe. Sounds good. So. Yeah. So. Our first category is cutest couple. Who was your cutest couple? My cutest couple was uh, Mr. and Mrs. Weston. <gasps> Me too! <laughs> Yay! Yay! I thought that they were just so cute for each other and they seemed so happy. Yes. Even with the mysterious baby. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the mystery baby. <laughs> the mystery baby. Who put this picture of a ghost on my desk? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that what really sold it for me was when Mr. Weston couldn't come to that dinner at Hartfield and then was just like, nope, I'm going to go hang out with my wife anyway. Now, granted, he did have really good news, but I do think that he went just because he was like, I'm going to go be, you know, friends with everybody and talk to everybody and see my wife. And they just seem, they just seem really happy. They do. And like, they work through things together and they like talk to each other and it's so great and you know what i'm just realizing just now you know how at the end mr weston has to go get emma to bring him to his wife so she can tell emma that frank churchill and jane fairfax are engaged and it's like this whole Mm -hmm. big to do and i'm like why is he going to get her it's because she's super duper pregnant yeah (laughs) that's why i'm just now (laughs) realizing it's because she's super duper pregnant and can't leave the house and that's Mm -hmm. why he has to go get emma and why they have this weird conversation and i'm just like oh now i get it but also that's kind of one of the things that kind of like endeared me to the relationship because it's like she picks on him a little bit and he's just kind of like so happy-go-lucky kind of doing his own little thing so like she's just like okay, you have to go get Emma. And I'm sure she's just like, don't freak her out. Don't tell her. Just like, just bring her here. Just tell her that I need to see her. And he's just like, oh, something big and crazy is happening. Oh, crap. I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> just, and come then, and, just come on. Yeah, just come on. Just come on. Uh, but then another, the other time when he opened her mail and she's just like, <laughs> seriously, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yay. Okay. So my next one is biggest flirt okay i put frank churchill so did i (laughs) yeah because he is he is he's also really the only one that i see like actively flirting with people Mm -hmm. same yep Mm -hmm. same and i'm specifically thinking of like when he's like sort of flirting sort of picking on jane at the pianoforte scene yeah 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 and then when he does it with emma at the tiles, but also still kind of low-key doing that flirting thing mm-hmm. with Jane, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's definitely your biggest flirt. No question. No question. 
Okay. All right. Um, my next category is biggest gossip. Mrs. Cole. Oh. Yep. Because <laughs> Mrs. Bates, sorry, Miss Bates gets a lot of her information from Mrs. Cole. That's and that's true. how we find out about Mr. Perry and the carriage, which then comes back. And yeah, I just feel like even though we don't actively see her gossiping, we see her gossip secondhand so much. Uh, so yep. yeah see i had miss bates i figured but i thought about that yeah but then i was like but who is miss bates getting this information from and it's almost always mrs cole yep. <laughs> so it's kind of like in pride and prejudice where it's like oh well mrs bennett obviously is the biggest gossip but no mrs bennett gets all of her gossip from miss mrs lucas yeah. <laughs> or lady lucas lady lucas yeah so yeah but this is the same thing so yeah nice Good. Finally, we differed on one. I was actually really concerned we were going to have the same for every single one because a lot of these kind of seem pretty <laughs> obvious. Um, I know. I, I was thinking about that when I was doing these is that some of these do seem uh, really obvious. Yeah. It's almost but. as if these characters were written to be these specific things. Hmm. Which is funny because we did not come up with this list of superlatives specifically for Emma. We actually used most of these for Pride and Prejudice, uh, and then we like switched out. I think just a couple of them. Mm-hmm. So just throwing that out there, we did not spe- like make this list specifically for Emma. However, Emma's characters are almost written su- specifically to be superlatives. Yeah, <laughs> weird how that works out, and we're yeah. just now realizing it again. All yeah. of our listeners are like, "Duh." <laughs> Okay, so my next one is most opinionated. I put, we might differ here. I actually put Mrs. Elton here because she's like always talking about Maple Grove and like how great it is and like comparing it to Hartfield. Mm -hmm. And she always has an opinion on something like who's going to be at what party, how the party's going to go, where they're going to go, what they're going to do. So I did put Mrs. Elton. I did have some other ideas, but I was trying to like keep it just one per category and not double up. Mm -hmm. So that's why I picked Mrs. Elton for most opinionated. Okay. So I actually wrote down two of them because I was a little bit afraid that you were going to pick one of them. And then I would just go with the other one because I think that they're both so similar Mm -hmm. that they could easily be interchanged. Okay. Um, But you did not pick either of the people that I wrote down. So I have to pick one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm sitting here thinking, who is more opinionated in this sense? And I feel like it's got to be Mr. Woodhouse. Mm -hmm. I did. He has an opinion. He has an opinion on everything, for everything, and you cannot question his opinion. It is correct. Yes. Especially when it comes to cake. Yes. Actually, especially when it comes to food overall. Food in general, yeah. (laughs) He has a lot of thoughts. Mm -hmm. Now, my runner-up for this one was Emma herself, Mm -hmm. because she is also very opinionated. And the reason why I was like, okay, well, who is it really? And the reason why I went with Mr. Woodhouse specifically is because I feel like Emma just like emulates her father so much. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that whole thing with like biggest gossip where it's like, okay, well, you know, like Emma is opinionated, but why is she opinionated? She's opinionated because of her father who is even more opinionated. Right. 
and because Emma does the same thing where it's like she has an opinion and that is correct and you can't question it but she gets it from Mr. Woodhouse so I'm gonna go with Mr. Woodhouse all right specifically I like it my next superlative is the most changed I put Jane Fairfax me too yep yeah because at the beginning she's super quiet doesn't seem to want to talk to anybody and then at the end she's not sick she is happy she is talkative now I will say this I think that how Jane Fairfax is at the end is kind of how she just is in real life. Mm -hmm, I agree. But that's not how we see her through the most of the novels. So I think that's why I consider her the most changed. Yep. When really it's just (laughs) what we think is her normal, which is her at the beginning, is actually the changed version. (laughs) Yeah, that's she's stressed out. She's keeping this big secret. She doesn't know what her life is going to be. So, yeah, that makes sense that she's distracted and quiet Mm -hmm. and sick all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So I think she is definitely most changed. Okay, so my next one is best all around. I picked Mr. Martin. I think he's just the best all around. He really likes Harriet. Like at the beginning, you know, he like takes her on these walks. He gets her like her strawberries. He takes her book recommendations. He proposes to her. He still kind of has a little bit of his heart on his sleeve even after she rejects him. And like he comes back and he still has these feelings. And he's just a nice guy. (laughs) He's just great. I had him as my runner-up, not going to lie, because I was just like, "Mm." but I actually picked Harriet. Nice. Okay. And I think I think that's because, and I I look at it as like best all around as in like, like looking at a bunch of these different categories and like how her character changed over the novel and her character did change. And I think that she went from being this naive little girl who didn't really know what was going on to being kind of a more well-rounded person Mm -hmm. and i think overall whether whether other characters in the book would agree or not i think that she gained a lot of self-respect yeah and i think that she is actually in a better place not just like obviously like (laughs) in terms of society but i just think as as a person she is a better person at the end of this book she cares more about herself she cares more about other people she knows she deserves respect Mm-hmm. and I think that she is less likely to take things lying down or to like see herself as like lower and I think that that's a good thing for her mm-hmm. she seems more like a fierce woman yeah I could see that yeah definitely alright my next one is the cutest couple that never was okay so this is where I doubled because it's a couple I think that Mr. Knightley and Harriet would have been adorable oh okay because like i said this at the time like harriet liked mr knightley because he treated her really well compared to like elton or these other people like even frank like harriet looked at mr knightley and how she was treat or how he was treating her and was like this is how i'm supposed to be treated Mm-hmm. So I think that they would have been an adorable couple. Now, that's not to say that Mr. Martin isn't going to treat her the same way, because I think that it is. So, like, what Knightley and Harriet could have been is what Knightley, or is what uh, Mr. Martin and Harriet are. But this is the couple that never was. Right. So right, 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 right. <laughs> I think that they just would have been adorable, because I think that he would have really, like, appreciated her and, like, treated her well, and she deserves it. Yeah. So. I put 
Mrs. Bates and Mr. Woodhouse because anytime there's something going on that Mr. Woodhouse has to stay home, Miss Bates will drop her mom off. And it's just like, they're the cute little old couple who like they have lived their lives separately. They've been married to different people and now they're just in their like sunset years and their spouses have since passed and now they're just together and like hanging out and like maybe there's a little cute romance between them. Oh. I don't know. I just wanted Mr. Woodhouse and Mrs. Bates to be the cutest couple that never was. And also like I feel like Mr. Woodhouse does reference Mrs. Bates a lot as like one of his dearest friends and like somebody he's mm -hmm. known a long time and like he seems to value her. So, yeah. Well, so, okay, so I'm going to jump down one because I almost put those two as the BFFs for life, ah. which is the one where I, I want to, let's just jump to that one next. Okay, so who yeah. did you put for BFFs for life? I actually put Emma and Knightley because they've okay, known each other sense, for yeah. so long and they they like bring out the best in each other because like I do feel at the beginning Mr. Knightley is like pretty harsh and pretty severe mm -hmm. and like Emma balances that out and then Emma herself is like you know she gets ideas in her head and she does things sometimes without really thinking it through and thinking about the consequences and Mr. Knightley mm -hmm. can help balance that out for her yeah well like I said I almost put Mr. Woodhouse and Mrs. Bates because I think that you know they are BFFs they spend so much time together but then I really thought about it and I'm like okay there is one character in this book who does nothing but talk about over and over and over again and just gives high praise to what has to be her BFF it just has to be because why else would she talk about this so much and give it such high praise and just always bring it up in conversation because you always bring your BFF up in conversation. So that is Mrs. Elton in Maple Grove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, She loves Maple Grove. It is her BFF. She always talks about it. She always has stories about times at Maple Grove because I don't know about you guys, but like when I'm chatting with people and like we're talking about different stories and things that are happening. It's always like, oh yeah, me and insert BFF name here, which is usually Katrina. Uh, <laughs> like we did this, we did that, we did this or this one time. Uh, yeah, so that's just how Mrs. Elton is with Maple Grove. So yep. it's gotta be, it's gotta be. Yep. Yeah. All right, guys, we only have two more left. This next one is a carryover from our Pride and Prejudice one. And that is most likely to be a serial killer. Mr. Elton. Mr. Elton. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's so I mean, creepy. He's creepy. He's part of the church, so that means he could probably <laughs> easily get rid of a body and nobody would suspect him. Yeah. 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 Maybe he's the one that's killing all the roosters. <gasps> Maybe. And I it's just like, one step before he starts killing people. I feel like I said Mr. Collins was the serial killer in Pride and Prejudice. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I feel like I did. And if that's the case, then, oh, my gosh, it's clergyman. It's clergyman. I, nobody suspects the vicar. No one. It's not the butler. It's the vicar. <laughs> Keep that in mind for your next mystery novel. <laughs> so. Also, I'm totally looking up who you said i think it was him because i was specifically thinking of the 2005 mr collins who does look like a tim burton 
serial killer yeah person. you did yeah you did yeah. you put mr collins yeah. i put kitty but you yes. put mr collins yeah. yep 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 it's the vicar from here on out all murder mysteries the vicar did all, it. it's it's the vicar mm-hmm. also they probably have the easiest access to open graves yeah they do oh my gosh why has nobody made this connection before pull out all those unsolved mystery files guys it's the vicar it's the vicar so our final one, which we did a little bit of a twist on uh, when we were doing Pride and Prejudice ones, but it was the person who doesn't give enough about what's going on. But this one is a little different. Uh-huh. This one is the person who really doesn't want to be here. Yeah. Most, <laughs> most likely to feel like this book could have just been an email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, seriously. I feel like we're going to be the same. I'm going to call it right now. That's my prediction. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll keep a blank face so then you don't know. What's yours? Mr. John Knightley. I did not put Mr. John Knightley, but, but I can see why you did totally that. He totally could. He's like, he just wants to be at home by his hearth. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He's like, mm-hmm. why do I have to go places? This is garbage. Mm-hmm. Just send me an email, guys. I got, <laughs> I, I'm good. <laughs> can I send my children to Hartfield via email? <laughs> <laughs> Please. And thank yeah. you. Uh, while I, I don't disagree with yours, yours is a good one. I feel like I, I should have put that, but I didn't. I put Mr. Perry. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when he has to go see Mr. Woodhouse. For no reason other than to tell him that he, it's, it's okay if he eats just a little bit of cake. (laughs) Mr. Perry is just like, I'm sure he gets letters or just like summons from Mr. Woodhouse and he's just like, <sighs> what do I have to go and explain to this man now? <laughs> like, and and the fact that like Mr. Woodhouse at the beginning is just so anti cake, and he's just like, there shouldn't be wedding cake. Let's not have wedding cake. It's bad for everybody. It makes everybody upset. Oh, by the way, Mr. Perry even said so. He said it's okay if you have just a little bit of it, but it's really not that good for you. So Mr. Perry is probably like, okay, I can't disagree with this man because he's just set in his ways and he'll get upset. So I'm just gonna agree with him. And just let it be. And then at the wedding, Mr. Perry has to then be like, okay, well, I know I said this to Mr. Woodhouse, but I'm totally letting my kids eat all this cake. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like he's just like, I don't care, but it's my job. (laughs) Yes. Yep. So. Love it. Yay. Those are all of our superlatives. Yes, and we're going to post them on Instagram, mm-hmm. and the ones where we differed, we're going to have a little poll to see what all of you guys think. Yes. And I got a couple of superlatives from our followers on Instagram. Yay! That I'm also going to throw up there. Yes! So, yeah, but keep an eye out for those, and we'll have, like, a nice, big, fun roundup like we did for Pride and Prejudice, and I'm really excited. Me too. So, yeah. But what I'm actually most excited for is that next week we are talking about the 2020 Emma. Me too. I'm so excited. I'm so, I, I, I keep seeing it pop up on like all of the things that I subscribe to, like all of my streaming services that I subscribe to. I'm like, there it is. There it is. There it is. I just want to watch it. Should I watch it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it. No, I got to finish the book. But now mm-hmm. I get to watch it. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about all of Sonali Dev's books that are coming out. Is that like, I want to read this. I want to read this. I want to read this. But I'm forcing myself to wait until we get to the Austin version of the book that she that she did. That's how I feel. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we're watching Emma next week. 
Emma 2020. We finally get to see how gorgeous this movie is. And yeah, I'm really super excited. Me too. So yay. Okay. That's it for this week. That is it for our Emma conversation in terms of the book. We're going to talk more about adaptations and both book and film. And yeah, that's it. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Al Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media/podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at withbeyondmeasure.com. Or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBMPodcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBMPodcast.